So today we're going to talk about greatness. Uh, I don't know anyone who wants to be mediocre at all things. I remember a commercial, I think it was for Monster.com, but it was a bunch of little kids and they were sharing their dreams. And Discovery Days does this. Discovery Days just had their graduation on Tuesday. And you have kids. And they, uh, Janet says what the kids want to be when they grow up. And so you had a couple of kids who wanted to be firefighters. And someone who wanted to be a, some animal. I forget. She wanted to be a grasshopper. Yeah, so someone wanted to be a grasshopper when they grew up. Right, right. But they, you know, so there was a commercial. And they had kids saying what they want to be when they grow up. And you have astronauts and scientists. I want to be a mother. I want to be a teacher. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a this. And then at the end of it, you have this little kid who says, I want to work my way all the way up to middle management. Right? No one aspires for that job, right? Like, I want to work real hard and I want to be like right here with people above me. No, we want to be great, right? We have a natural desire to be great. And that desire to be great is a, it's not a bad thing, right? Now, how we pursue it can be bad. We can pursue it in a way that dishonors God and that, that brings shame on the name of, of Jesus Christ. But that desire to be great is kind of put inside of the hearts of people. We don't want to be mediocre. And the truth is, God didn't call you to be an average person, right? He wants you to be exceptional at the things that he's called you to do. And so Jesus is dealing with his disciples in the book of Mark, chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Mark, chapter 9. He's dealing with his disciples about this issue of what greatness is, how to be great, what is the pathway to greatness, and what greatness looks like. Like And the truth is, when Jesus speaks, oftentimes he turns things over, right? Our understanding of stuff, and he flips it upside down, we recognize there's a better way than what is our natural way. And so that's what's going on with the disciples. So Jesus begins in nine, chapter, th- or chapter 9 of Mark, verse 30, and, he, and it says, "...they went on from there, and they passed through Galilee." And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples. He didn't want people to know he was there, because he wanted to be dedicated to his disciples. And he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he's killed, after three days, he will rise. But they didn't understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask. Now Jesus is predicting his death, right? He's predicting the death the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The hope that we have today is found in these verses right here. But for the disciples, they didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. Because the Son of Man was supposed to come and conquer and rule. And that's not what greatness looked like. They had a picture of greatness. The the king who comes and kills all the Romans and uh, rebuilds uh, the temple back into Solomon's splendor, not in the splendor that it had in the first century. And the sacrifices would be reinstituted. And this king would reign forever. And peace would rest across all of Israel. This was greatness for the disciples. But Jesus began to speak about a different path forward, a path of suffering, a path of death, and a path of betrayal, and they didn't know what to do with it. And because they didn't know what to do with it, right, sometimes when you don't know something, you should ask, right? I'm bad at this because I'm a guy, right? My brother, I was out on Lake uh, Cedar Creek Lake yesterday with my brother, and he has a ski boat because he's my brother. And he's driving a ski boat out there, and we're, I don't know, 50, 60 foot offshore, And we're going 30 miles an hour across the lake and just flying across the lake. And then all of a sudden, the boat does what boats do. If you ever had a boat, you know what boats do when you're out on the lake, right? They break. 
And so all of a sudden the boat goes da 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 da. And like I've I've confessed before, usually when Billy Gray is here, I'm not a mechanic. I can do some things, but I can break some stuff too when I get into the mechanic world, and I don't know anything about boats. And so we're kind of speculating, like maybe there was something that he ran over, like a rope or something like that. So we take it back, we can idle it back to the, uh, my parents' house, and I dive underneath, and I'm feeling around on the prop and up the little like, drive shaft, and I'm like, I don't feel anything there. And so we drive it out, we take it out of the water, and I look at the back of my brother's boat, and his boat has uh, four fins on the propeller, okay? That's what it's supposed to have, four fins on the propeller. But it only had three whenever it came out of the water. And that, that's a problem, if you don't know, because four is not three. Uh, and so, like, uh, he, he, we, we, we worked on that boat to get it fixed. But the problem is, like, I don't know things. And so when you don't know things, like, just trying to fix things isn't the right move, right? Like, uh, and so my brother, uh, we had to go buy a prop for his boat. We drove to Dallas to buy a prop for his boat because there's no boat places there. We drove back uh, to Cedar Creek Lake. He bought a special tool. It's like a steering wheel puller, if you know what that is, to pull the, the prop off because it's apparently on there pretty tight. We take the nut off, get the, get the steering wheel puller, prop puller on there, and there is a small piece of paper in the box. It's a $200 part, by the way, a prop puller. If you need one, I've got one for you, but um, it's a small piece of paper in, the, in that box. But my brother watched a YouTube video for about, like, 48 seconds. And so, like, you have a small piece of paper in a box, and you've got this. So he just takes out the metal thing, and he puts it on there, and we start tightening it on. And it basically, it doesn't matter, it pulls it off is what it does, okay? And so we're working on it, and I have to put the little nut on the end of the propeller to give enough distance to pull it. And I am I'm working as hard as I can. And then all of a sudden, everything goes, right? And I'm like, okay. And I look, and the nut that holds the propeller on, I smashed it, because that's how strong your pastor is, okay? I turned it, and there was enough tension there, the, 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 the bolt or the little nut at the end of it was just totally destroyed. And it's brass, brass is a little softer, I, I don't want to take that away from you, okay, I'm strong. But, uh, <laughs> but, but I destroyed the thing that holds, ultimately, keeps the propeller from accidentally falling off as you're going down the water. And so we get the prop off eventually. We use a hammer because what do you do? Um, we get it off eventually. And then I look and I see the piece of paper in the box that I had never seen before. And I'm reading through it and it says, do not over tighten on the pour. All you're doing right now is taking a little bit of the pressure off and then you can tap it off with a hammer. And I was like, oh, huh. You know, if you don't know something, you should ask. And the disciples, they didn't understand what was going on. And when you don't know, you, you can make a fool of yourself real quickly. And so the disciples didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. And so immediately, they have this second conversation. And it shows how ignorant they are about what Jesus sees greatness as. It says, they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what are you, were you discussing on the way? So from Galilee to Capernaum, what were you talking about, guys? And they were silent. For on the way, they were arguing with one another about who was the greatest. It was Muhammad Ali. He told me that. And he sat down and he called the twelve. And he said to them, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him 
who sent me. And Jesus says, guys, what were you talking about when we were leaving? They're like, we were talking about, uh, no, 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 we don't want to talk about it. Right? Because they were, they were focused on who was going to be the greatest. And their picture of greatness was a picture of ruling and reigning and conquering and leading. You'll see another passage in, in another, another gospel account where you have like James and John coming up to Jesus being like, hey, you know, when you take over all this stuff, can we be like your wingmen, like one on the right and one on the left? Can we be right there with you, be the second greatest people right next to you? They're so infatuated with power. They're so caught up with trying to be in charge and to, to experience what it means to be over all things. And so what Jesus does is he says, guys, you've got it all wrong. Greatness is service. You know, being great in the kingdom of God means being below everyone else. And so Jesus takes a child who is about the lowest figure in their society at the day, and he says, when you receive one of these, you receive me. When you take in the one who is helpless and hopeless and doesn't have a prayer in the world, when you give honor to those who everyone else dishonors, you have honored me. And so our teaching here for what greatness looks like means that we have to elevate everyone above ourselves. Jesus lived this way, right? He's the God of the universe, the second person of the Trinity, the, the agent of creation. All things that are made were, were made by him, yet he came as a servant of people, right? He's our example of what greatness looks like it doesn't look like the people we see on tv or the kings or the the, the multi-billionaires or the people who have power in our world today his power is different and his power doesn't end you know sometimes we think that power is is forever the people who are in charge are in charge forever in america we have major turnovers every four to eight years right in our power structures up in washington DC, even in, in areas where we think well, it's not politics but wealth, it only takes a couple of generations for the wealth to totally disappear from the richest people in the world. And it doesn't take long for power to go away, but God's power remains forever if we live with a servant mindset. So John responded to Jesus in verse 38, again, not understanding what it means. To, to, to be under other people. He says, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, don't stop him for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon to speak evil afterwards of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. The second area beyond service is an idea of humility. The disciples, John, who's a pretty important disciple, one of the top three disciples, if you're able to list them out there, James, John, and Peter, and he's this influential early disciple of Jesus. And he goes to Jesus, like, Jesus, we saw people doing miracles in your name, and we told them to stop because they weren't following what? Us. Isn't that weird? Right, 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 right. Peter, James, John, they follow Jesus. And then they're looking at someone else and they're like, he wasn't following us. He's not my disciple. He's not doing what I want him to do. And Jesus is like, you've got it wrong. Right? Humility is an important thing to understand. God's kingdom is bigger 
than sometimes we picture. That's difficult for me to understand because I'm a, um, I'm a product uh, of the Southern Baptist Convention. That's just who I am. It's deep inside of me. I can't think another way. I'm not that flexible in my mind. And when I read scripture, there's a reason I'm a Baptist. I'm convinced. I'm convinced that that when I read scripture, that's the way it reads. Like, it's just natural for me to read it that way. It's tough for me sometimes to understand that, that God's kingdom is slightly more diverse than just the Southern Baptist Convention. It is, though. Right, it is, and I understand this. I deal with ministers here in town, good men, godly men who love the Lord, slightly different, different trajectories on the faith. We disagree about some things, real things, meaningful things, reasons we don't all serve in one church together. God's kingdom is bigger than that. John didn't understand that. John thought, man, it's, it's, it's me and my type of church and my type of religion and my type of world, and Jesus said, be humble because God's kingdom is bigger than you think. What God is doing is larger than what you're experiencing. And that's a good thing for us to know. It's a good thing for us to remember when we begin to get a little proud of ourselves. We begin to look down. We become the Pharisee uh, with the tax collector sitting beside us. And the tax collector is crying out, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And we stand beside that person and say, thank God I'm not him. Right? That's, that's, it's, it, we have to be mindful. That's in us. Pride is inside of us, and the, the pride that we have the only claim to any understanding of anything about Jesus is a dangerous world. The disciples thought that way. They found out it's a little bit wider than that. Now, the path to, to, to heaven is fairly well spelled out in Scripture, right? John 14, 6, right? I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except by me, Jesus says. So the path is as wide as Jesus Christ. It's not wider than that, right? Christ has put boundaries on that. There's a diversity out there beyond there. And we have to understand what are our core beliefs that are non-negotiables that put you outside of the faith and what are our beliefs that are slightly more open-handed. Right? What, 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 what someone believes about something, we can be open-handed about. We can say, you know what, you can believe that and not be a heretic. That's a dangerous word to throw around. Heretic. So John was, got rebuked by Jesus saying, be humble. And all things. And then we have this last passage here, uh, starting in verse 42. It says, Whoever causes one of these little ones, the child still sitting in his lap, to sin, or who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were hurled into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, for it's better you to enter life crippled than with two hands and to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off, for it's better to enter your life lame than with two feet. And be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. For it is better you to enter the kingdom with one eye than with two eyes. And to be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. For salt is good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will it be made salty? Again, have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. This seems like a diversity of teaching. You read it, it feels like a hodgepodge of stuff going on. But Jesus is following the same line of thought about greatness, and, uh, and he's dealing with humility and pride. And he says, guys, the path to greatness, the path to ultimate greatness is the path to being in unity with, with Jesus Christ, right? Being in, in sync with Jesus Christ, experiencing eternity with Jesus Christ, being forgiven through Jesus Christ, living a life of service like Jesus Christ. And he says, but there is another way. 
There is another path, and the other path leads to destruction. The other path leads to perdition, and Jesus says, do everything you can to avoid that path. But that path is tempting, and it's wide, and it's easy. It's easy to buy into what, what, what everyone sells. It's easy to buy into what the picture of power looks like in the United States of America. It's easy to buy into it. Everyone is selling us a dream that's wrong. Everyone is selling it to us, and they'll deliver it in two days with free shipping. They are selling you it because they know that you'll buy it. Jesus says there's a better way than the path that everyone else takes. Be careful about jumping on that other path. There is danger over there. We don't talk a whole lot about hell, but today I'll do just a little bit, guys. Hell is a very real place. It's a very real place for very unprepared people. And we don't have, like, I don't have an ultimate understanding of everything that's going to happen in hell and what the picture of hell is going to be. Is it going to be Dante's Inferno and there's seven circles going down and, you know, all the, you know, French philosophers are somewhere hanging out there together? I, I, I don't know exactly what hell looks like, but I'll tell you this. There's a reason we use the word hell to describe how terrible things can be here. Because it's just a picture when you have a bad thing, you say, man, I've been going through hell. You don't literally mean you've been going through the fires of hell. You think, man, my life has just been so terrible. I've been hit after one, after one, after one, after. The truth is hell is very real. It's a terrible, terrible destination, and we should be warned against it. If you're a believer today, you have confidence that that's not your destination, then it should motivate you to live a life of service to lead other people away from it. It's a real place. It should motivate us, me. I should be motivated by the fire of hell, not because I'm scared I'm going to die, but because I know one day people I love will. People I, Matt Hagenbotham, love will. And that should motivate me to love them and to serve them and to show them a better way because a lot of people, a lot of people who are my, my people, people who God has entrusted into my life who have rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ have rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ because it doesn't look like Jesus. It looks like something else when it's lived out by us. And so we have to serve, guys. We've got to put them up. We've got to elevate them up. We've got to give everything we have to make them know there is a God who loves them, who came and took on the form of a man to serve them so that they could experience life. Not this life. Not this life with the ups and the downs, but eternal life, which is so much better. Every being is an eternal being. The destination is the only question that we have to deal with. Where are they going? And so we have to be careful with that. We have to have a warning about that. There's another way to greatness, or what we think is greatness, that leads to another way. And not only that, he ends by saying, guys, your life should be a living sacrifice. You know, it ends with a weird saying right in verse 49. It says, everyone will be salted with fire. Isn't that a weird verse? If I was to tell you, like, I, I, I had a fire going yesterday. Like, like, I've never, I don't even know what it means to be salted with fire. And so I, I did some work on that because that's what I have to do whenever I have to stand up here and talk about it. Uh, and the idea is, if you go back into... 
um, the book of, I'll go Deuteronomy, but it may be Leviticus, um, in, in the Old Testament, in the Torah, when the law is given, and there were sacrifices prepared, every sacrifice that was prepared, every single one of them, whether it was a grain sacrifice or a drink sacrifice or a burnt offering, you know, an ox or a sheep or whatever, every single one of those, there was an amount of salt that was included in the sacrifice, right? And that was just part of the process. And what Jesus is saying here to his disciples is, if, if you're following me, you're going to be what Paul refers to as that living sacrifice. Everyone who, who pursues after that better way will be salted with fire. We will experience what it means to be a living sacrifice, which means we live sacrificially now. That is what it looks like. Because if we're not doing that, then we're the next verse, right? When we, the salt loses its saltiness. It becomes useless for the purposes out there. Guys, today I'm going to ask you, I'm going to beg you, if you know Jesus Christ today, live your life sacrificially. Put the needs of other people in front of your needs. Start with the people closest to you. Start with your, 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 your spouse. Start with your kids. Move out from there to your co-workers. Move out from there to your parents. If you're out of the house, if you're a kid in the house, sacrifice, live for your parents. But, but as you move out from there, consistently try to put other people in front of you. This is the life Jesus lived. It's the life we're called to live. And if we do that, when we do that, we are achieving greatness. And there will be, as, as Jesus says, right, anyone who, who, who takes one of these children in my name or a cup of cold water given in my name, you will surely not lose your reward. Guys, there is a reward. We may not experience that reward on this side of eternity. We may not know exactly what that looks like over here. But there is something waiting on the other side of this thing called time. And for those of us who know and love Jesus Christ, if we live our lives in a way that honors Him through sacrificial living, the rewards will be great. So I beg you, Live sacrificially. Start, start, start living for others. Stop doing it for yourself. Today, choose others first. And if you don't know Jesus today, I want you to know that thing that I said about hell, that there is a place that's prepared for unprepared people. It's real. And nothing in me desires anyone that I have any contact with to experience whatever that is for all time. But God has prepared a way for all people to avoid that fate. And that is by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus was the Son of God who lived a perfect sinless life so that you could experience eternal life. He died for your sin. He died for the crimes you have committed. He paid your punishment. And as He did that, as He did that, He made a way for you to receive eternal life by trusting in what he did. We believe by faith. And as we express our faith in Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, we receive forgiveness today. You don't have to be there. You don't have to go there, and that's the way out. Let me pray for us.